If you're feeling overwhelmed by clutter, whether it be physical or mental clutter, I invite you to join me for my free five-day challenge called Re-Energize Your Home. We'll be meeting from June 3rd through June 9th for this amazing challenge where you will discover the power of shifting your mindset, the power of managing your energy, and having true support for your efforts. Let's help you reclaim control of your life and your space in just five days. All you need to do to join us in this free challenge is to go to maketimeforsuccesspodcast.com slash challenge. Again, that's maketimeforsuccesspodcast.com slash challenge. I can't wait to work with you and I'll see you soon. Welcome back to the Make Time for Success podcast. This is episode number 97. Have you ever wondered if there might be a process for generating creative success from within, even when you have to face major roadblocks along the way? My guest today, Nick Demos, has spent his entire life exploring questions like this one. And he's come onto the show to share so many different stories and ideas with us inside this very entertaining episode. He's got so much to inspire us with, and I find him to be an incredibly inspiring person. Nick is a Tony Award-winning producer, documentary filmmaker, soul-aligned business coach, and host of the Nick Demos Show podcast. With over a decade of teaching meditation, yoga, and creativity, as well as 30 years in the entertainment industry. He has traveled from the Tony Awards to ashrams and has built a seven-figure business in between. Nick guides online entrepreneurs to effectively use storytelling in their marketing so they can have profitable businesses and be visible thought leaders as well. Nick is talent and exploration personified, and I can't wait to share this episode and him with you now. Hi, I'm Dr. Christine Lee, and I'm a psychologist and a procrastination coach. I've helped thousands of people move past procrastination and overwhelm so they could begin working to their potential. In this podcast, you're going to learn powerful strategies for getting your mind, body, and energy to work together so that you can focus on what's really important and accomplish the goals you want to achieve. When you start living within your full power, you're going to see how being productive can be easy and how you can create success on demand. Welcome to the Make Time for Success podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I oftentimes forget. I think that there are gentlemen listening, but thank you for being here too. This is Christine Lee. And today I have been laughing a lot already because I've been chatting with my special guest, Nick Demos, just getting to know him a little bit better and sharing experiences with each other and just getting prepped for this interview, which I think is going to be hysterical, informative, and inspiring. That is my bet. Nick, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh. Okay. First of all, thank you so much for having me. And yes, I I agree with all those things that you just said, because you are all of those things. And so therefore, how could it not be that way in this interview? (laughs) Thank you so much, Nick. So Nick is a wonder, a very talented person, my colleague, and 
I just think we're going to get to know him and then we're going to end up learning from him, but I think it's all going to be intertwined. So Nick, can you share with us just the first piece of you, what you would like to start off with? And I want to get to know all the different sides and the history and what you've got to teach us today. So start anywhere. Yeah. You know what? I think I'll start at the, let's start at the very beginning. (laughs) You know, that sound of music, very beginning. Let's start at the very beginning, only because it's really informative of how I came to be who I am today, basically. You know, each moment of your life, as they say, draws you to the next moment, which draws you into deeper into who you are. And as a kid, I'm going that far back. Watch out, world. As a kid, I was this big storyteller, always. I, my mother tells it that I would jump up on the table and I would pronounce all of the um, Grimm's fairy tales. I would I would give full on performance of the the Grimm's fairy tales, and she knew immediately that that's what I was going to do. Uh, by sixteen years old, I was a professional dancer. We lived across the street from a uh, dance teacher. And I used to go watch. Now, this was in rural Montana, right? In the 70s, early 80s, uh, cowboy land. And I used to go watch the girls with, with, with the dance, with their dance uh, slippers on. And I would always want to have them, you know? And finally, one day, the dance teacher said, get up. And I did. And this was not necessarily well-received in rural Montana that a, a young boy was dancing, but I persevered. And by 16, I was a professional. Uh, And at 19, moved to New York City full-time to be a dancer after having um, gone on the the road with a national tour of a show. And I think what's so interesting about that is that I was so fearless. You know, when you are at that age, I'm no longer that age, as you know, uh, (laughs) when you're that age, there is this from freedom this of of expression for me this freedom of of being who i was even even with the quote unquote bullying before we called it that right even with all of that i felt this drive this determination this i'm going to be the best boy in the entire world and i think in many ways it was because of that bullying, because of the lack of understanding, because of all that, that this best little boy persona and yes, perfectionist came out. And at 19, moving to New York with $800 and a suitcase and my dance shoes, it was very Peggy Sawyer from 42nd Street, if you know that say. movie. Yes. <laughs> totally. And I didn't know what I didn't know. I had I'd never been to New York City before. Here I was this country boy, never been to New York City before. I didn't know anybody. Two people, I didn't know uptown from downtown. It was really an incredible eye-opening and crazy time in my life. Fearless. Fearless. Brave, very brave. Just like the Broadway show. <laughs> Well, I wonder, was it brave or was it really just sort of like this, the, the 
ignorance of it, of just like, why couldn't I? Why why shouldn't I? Why can't I tackle Broadway? Why can't mm-hmm. I live on my own at this point in my life? You know, my mm-hmm. mother cried. I remember her crying when I got on the plane. Now I get it. You know, now I can look back and say, oh, yeah, that 19-year-old boy <laughs> was going to a very foreign land. And that, you know, that was before the internet, before things were very different then, right? We, did, we didn't have the same kind of knowledge or even connection. So that led me to being a dancer Broadway for about eight years. I was a backup dancer. I backup danced for Aretha Franklin and C.C. Uh, Peniston and some people. But I was doing the Radio City Christmas Spectacular with the Rockettes, you know, kicking the legs. Uh, and there I was on stage... And it's a very, very overwhelming schedule. You do at least three to five shows a day. And these aren't, these aren't short shows. They're an hour and a half to two hours long. If you've ever seen the show, it's a, it is a spectacular show. It's, it's fantastic. It really, really is. And it was lovely to be a part of, right? But in the show, the director had, we were in these, there's this Nutcracker Ballet. So and the Nutcracker Ballet, everyone's in like bearhead costumes, right? So I'm in this Russian doll bearhead costume, and the director had us jump from a trampoline onto the stage and do a Russian jump in between, which is like a toe touch. And I'm doing this, and my I'm 26 years old, and my back is hurting, and I'm in pain, and it's Christmas. It's Christmas. And I remember it being Christmas Day. And you jump onto the stage, and then it's a big number grid. On the floor, there are all these numbers because it's such a huge production. You can get injured so quickly, right? There's these numbers on the floor, and you have to find your number. And my bare head is falling down over my eyes, and I can't see my number. And it's Christmas, and I'm in pain, and I'm looking on the floor, and I'm trying to find my number, and I can't find it. And suddenly, I burst into tears in my, in my bare head. The tears are rolling down my cheek and I get off stage when, when the the number is complete. And I remember this so clearly, vividly, I took off the bare head and I remember looking in the mirror in my dressing room mirror and saying, this is not your life. This isn't the life that you want to live. You have to make a change. And Basically, a week later, when the show closed, I got on the phone, old school again, and called every single theater I'd ever worked at in my entire life and said, I'm a director and a choreographer now. And one of the theaters said, we just lost our choreographer. Why don't you come down to Florida and choreograph this production of Godspell? And a month later, I began my new journey, my new career as a director choreographer within one year i fully transitioned it happened so fast and this is now in in retrospect so unheard of and so ridiculous but it did and three years later i'm at a theater in the middle of oklahoma in oklahoma city and another i'm 20 or 28 now so three two and a half years later and as i'm at the theater they fire the artistic director of the theater and they turn to me and they say we loved your shows the last two years that you've been here. Yours have been the most successful. Will you consider taking over the theater for a year while we do a national search? Uh, hell yeah. Sure I will. And that began my next chapter of being a producer. 
So it was a wild ride from dancer to director to producer in a very short period of time. Uh, and a part of that, and the majority of that was just saying yes. Yes. Okay. What part of you allowed yourself to jump that first time from the bear costume to the next step? What enabled you to say, like, I'm going to switch this. I'm going to, I know you were in a, in a sad spot and a back aching spot, but what gave you that ability to say, I'm just going to transform in this way? I think there was this inner knowing. I think it was the quiet voice within. And it's before I even understood what that was, right? At that point, I didn't have tools to, to even understand what that meant. But I think that there was this trust that I had in the deepest part of myself that I had to listen. It was the same trust that I had that when I at 19, that I just knew I had to go. Now, part of me was running that time, running away from being a gay boy in the middle of Montana, right? And the second time, that transition was a run to, not a run from. Mm -hmm. It felt very different, honestly. Mm -hmm. But yet it was still that same voice inside mm -hmm. that I could just, just by listening, I knew. I, like, I knew that there was no other way almost. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I understand the inner voice part, but mm -hmm. then what about the thing or the experience that people label imposter syndrome, where you're moving into a different level, different skill set, different authority in in the hierarchy? You're occupying a totally different role in a brand new way, and just kind of making it happen. How did you so bypass that if you did? So, you know, in imposter syndrome, when there's that first bit where you have immediate some, some quick success because you don't know what you don't know. I had some quick success because I didn't know what I didn't know. And then after the success happened, that's when the imposter syndrome sunk in. It wasn't mm -hmm. right. It wasn't at first. At first, it was mm -hmm. like, I'm going to make this happen. And so I did. <laughs> right. It was after that that I began to question what I was doing. Because before that, I didn't know that I could, that I needed to or, sh or should. I think part of that was my youth. Part of that was my naivete about being a, a, a boy from Montana, right? Who didn't really fully understand the world that I was even playing in. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't get it. In many ways, I was al almost like naive to what could go wrong. And naive so I... Go ahead. Naive to New York and Broadway and <laughs> all of that, right? So so naive to New York and Broadway and sort of like the that sort of idea or that of almost climbing the ladder and all that. I took these these hops, these leaps, and part of it was because I wasn't playing the game. Yeah. I wasn't playing it the way everyone else was playing it. Yes. And then, so then when I got to the, uh, a certain level, that's when it set in of, oh, I actually have to deliver something now. I may be, maybe I need to go get some help, right? Like that was a different sort of um, experience. Yes. Okay. And then you are making me think of kind of what 
was the network around you like when you needed it? How did you find the help and how did you allow yourself to access and ask for it when you needed it? Yeah, I think that there were a couple couple things happened. One was that some mentors naturally began to show up for me. And I was very fortunate in in that sense that people out came out of the woodwork and said things to me like, hey, do you need any help with this? I don't think they saw that I was struggling as much as they just ha- probably intuitively knew that as somebody so young to have so much responsibility, that likely I might need some help. And I remember this man, Wayne, he set me aside one day, I was at like a conference. And he set me aside. and He said, you're very, very young to be doing what you're doing. And, and I said, yeah, I, I, I kind of got that. I know. And, and he said, just know that they don't know any more than you do. And I, that took something that, that helped me in a way, because I think that, that impo- when that imposter syndrome did sit in, I thought, oh, I don't know anything. I don't know. And what, what Wayne shared with me made me realize, oh, we're all just making it up. Right. We're all just doing. Yes, there are some structural things and that you can learn. And of course, your knowledge and all of that. But at the end of the day, we're all just figuring this out together. But also that there's no reason to assume that, you know, less because you're young. Yes, exactly. Okay, so you are an amazing communicator now. And as I know you, but I've only known you for a smidge in time. What kind of communication barriers did you have to work through within yourself to help you rise and succeed and create the wonderful things that you have? So the very, speaking of that theater in in Oklahoma, they wanted a curtain speech before the show. And I don't know if you know what a curtain speech is, but it's when the artistic director or the executive director of the theater comes out and they, you know, they give a little pre-speech. I was scared out of my mind about it. Like it was so scary to me. Here I was an actor, right? You would think as an actor, you'd be fine going on stage and talking, but it is two very, very different things. And I made them drag a podium out and I held onto the podium for dear life. Like I was shaking and sweating. And I mean, I, I, I had to learn to be okay in my own skin because I had for all those years, been hiding everything from my sexuality to abuse that I'd had in my childhood to, you you know, all those levels were all hidden in these characters that I'd played and then in the art that I created. And now here I had to actually go onto a stage and be fully me. And I did not know how to do it. And it was incredibly exposing. And from that really was just experience of doing it over and over and over again. I, at that point, did not go take a public speaking course or what have you, because I I was always able to tell a story, like we were saying, always able to communicate in some way. But I had, what I really did was dig into my personal practice, into my spiritual practice. That's what shifted things for me. And that, that was a, that was a big process. Could you tell us more about that part? What does that look like? What did that consist of? And what does yeah. it consist of now? So 
I think I was always a seeker of sorts. As long as long as I can remember, I was reading books, everything from Louise Hay to Marianne Williamson to sort of in that 90s new age period. I was very into all of that, right? Doing the artist way, you name it. But I found yoga through the gym. I was at it, like look peering in and I saw these people and it looked really great. And my dancer self was like, oh, maybe I should do that. Not realizing that there was this spiritual aspect to it, right? I saw it from the physical. That physical brought me in and that inward uh, life that it offered, that way of looking at the self, the self-actualization process. And I began to practice almost regularly right away. And that really was the, the 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 turning point because for me it became about embodiment. I could read and read and read and read and read, but I needed to embody it. I think part of that dancer in me, that physical, I needed that connection, that you know, yoga, yoke, connection. I need I that was desperately seeking that. And while I was in Oklahoma, there were only at that time two yoga classes a day in the entire city, literally in the entire city at that time, two, one at nine in the morning and one at five o'clock. Well, I worked, <laughs> right? Like, I, I was like, I can't do that. I can't, you know, so, you know, it was me and the housewives when I went, but you know, I don't mean that. And I don't, that sounded really derogatory, but you know, the type that I'm talking about. <laughs> so anyway, I, was putting like DVD videos in and I built this sh yoga shanty in my backyard, like with the shed from Home Depot. And I was like, really like, and I was studying, reading everything I could uh, uh, on the, on yoga principles and philosophy, um, the texts, the ancient texts. And so I decided to take a month off from my job and go back to New York and take a teacher training. And when I did, I was in the training and it was really a fantastic experience. And I'm sitting in meditation. And again, that voice, that voice came to me. And what it said very clearly, when I say came to me, I just listened, was, you don't need to take a month off. You need to quit your job and move back to New York. Okay. And when that voice comes up, I listen. And so it took me about a year, honestly, because it was like, oh, no, 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 no. I have a job with full benefits in the theater. <laughs> I can't do this. My parents will kill me. Right. You know, <laughs> nobody has benefits in the theater. Uh, nobody has a steady paycheck. 401k. Uh, and But I realized that, that that's what needed to happen. And so I gave them a year notice in Oklahoma. And they began a search, and I started a production company and began to transition back to New York. And one of the th one of the things that I did was I became a producer of a musical called Memphis. And a year later, after I quit my job, a year later, I was back in New York, and the show uh, won the Tony for Best Musical. So... Uh, another turning point, speaking of turning points, is I'm in the audience at the Tony Awards, and Bernadette Peters, never forget it, opens the opens opens it up and says Memphis, and we stood up to go up onto the stage, the producing team, and I was 
there was so much excitement and I stood up and I had, there's this great still of a CBS still like that they caught of this moment on the broadcast of my face. And it is neither sad nor happy. I was blank. And I remember in that moment what was going on in my head. My In the moment, my head was two things. One, oh, thank God my investors are going to make their money back. <laughs> the business person in me. And yes. the second part was, this isn't supposed to feel like this. This is it. This is it. This is all this is. I worked all of my life for this moment and this is the feeling this is not what i this is not what i wanted and i'm walking up onto the stage as i'm having this conversation with myself and so that was another huge turning point because after that that's when the real work began because that best little boy that we were talking about from you know way back when the all that validation i was seeking all of that 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 that, that it still wasn't it that's when I read that the spiritual practice really began. And that's when I went and studied with the teacher. I went and lived with the teacher and really dug into a deep personal practice that consisted of, yes, the, 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 what we in the West think of as yoga as the asana postures, but also breath work, pranayama, meditation, um, and even deeper study. And and really, I know that you're a big proponent of a morning practice, a morning routine, right? Yes. And and that was of a sadhana. That's a that's a, a traditional sadhana is a practice that you're given by your teacher to do every single morning. And that began really what I really consider my my sort of deep practice because it was really about me sitting in my ish every morning. And whether I liked it or not, rain, shine, sickness, health, I sat in it and began to discover who I really was without all of the external stuff. I really like the ish concept and what you did there, because I think I have been thinking about the morning routine. And what I recently heard that when we wake, we kind of need to be connected to something bigger and reminded of that, which I thought was interesting. But I have not thought that we have to sit with our ish during that practice as well, because it's so many things, right? It's it's mm-hmm. kind of your time to be with yourself, to imagine what could be, to center yourself, to prepare, but also with the morning things like the morning pages is also kind of deal with the stuff that you have to tangle with, tangle with, tango with both. Tango, tangle. Yeah, both. <laughs> yeah. And so I appreciate the ish stuff. And may I ask, how did your creativity benefit from that concentrated effort that you made to sit with your ish, to do the practice to become a teacher and to learn these different practices. My creativity exploded. It flourished. So because up to that point, I had been doing everything out of the the feeling of, or this need or this, this desire for perfection, 
when I let go of the perfection and I sat in the emotions, when I sat in the reality of who I was, that's when everything shifted. And that's when I suddenly began to write. I wrote a book. Suddenly I was, I created two documentaries. I started an online business. My, the entire world went from this sort of narrow focus and not in a, you know, in, in marketing terms, in a niche way. I was way more niched back then, but my, my life and who I was expanded in such a huge way. And, and it's because of sitting in the ish. It's because of examining it on a daily basis. You know, the wonderful thing about the morning practice is that it's, it's setting your vibration, right? You wake out of bed and some days you feel great. We love those days. And some days we feel like crap, right? I don't want to get out of bed today. I don't want to do it today. And you sit down and you do these practices. And when you do these practices, you shift your energy. Or at least you become very aware of where your energy is so that when you walk out the door, you're aware of where you're at. And so you become non-reactive to that which is thrown at you. Every day we walk out and stuff's going to happen, right? There, that it, like you can't control anything but your reaction. And what the practice does is teaches you to know yourself well enough that you know that it's okay that you know that what, however reactionary you become, you're going to be okay. Yes. I love what you just said. And I'm thinking the way that I tend to teach the people that I work with is that if you don't have even five or 10 minutes of that, then what happens is you're typically racing into the formal work-ish day. And that's all there is because that feels endless, especially lately. And so then where is that time for you to feel like there are other options for you to create, for you to be yourself, for you to be relaxed, for you to not feel like you're answering to other people. And I think just even five minutes is really crucial. Absolutely. It does not need to be an hour practice. It doesn't even need to be 20 minutes. I know they say the 20 minute thing. No, five minutes. Can you, if you can't do five minutes, can you do three. Can you sit and breathe for a minute? And if you can't offer yourself five minutes, that's something for you to really consider and really look at in terms of how are you nurturing yourself? Let's talk about self-care. There's a lot of self-care chat right in, in the world. How are you nurturing yourself? When you get out of bed in the morning, how are you nurturing your body, your mind, your spirit? Are you? We all can be guilty of this picking up the phone first thing what is the intake how are you nurturing what you are you that's that's what you're feeding yourself so yes. can you feed yourself some self care some self love yes and i think many of us are just not trained or even inclined to look in that direction so it feels honestly like a waste of time or some mm -hmm. gobbledygook and right. something that is wasted rather than the most essential, precious, fueling stuff that we can get. Now, I will say this. When I did decide to do it and I sat in it, it wasn't easy. 
it was not easy. I'm not going to lie to you. It wasn't like, you know, I, I, I wasn't pooping unicorns, right? Like it wasn't like, <laughs> oh, unicorns and fairies and all. No, it was hard. And it got, because I went into the fire, so to speak, and had to to really deal with some stuff. And then the creativity flourished, right? It, there, was, there was a period of darkness there. Dark night of the soul, if we, you know, going into the storytelling. I had to go through that. Now, some days it feels amazing, just like getting out of bed. And some days it feels like a little, you know, oh gosh, got to go do the practice. But I always feel better after. It's a little like going to the gym. You know how like, you're like, oh, if I could just get myself there. Because when I go, I always enjoy it. But sometimes I've got to like push myself to get out the door. It's not even out the door with the practice in the morning. It's just doing it. Yes. Yes. Thank you for reinforcing all of this. I hope we have kind of conveyed how we need to make time for this, even when it doesn't feel like we can. (laughs) So, and it does not have to be perfect. That's something that I've Mm -mm. been trying to convey that it doesn't even have to be consistent. It just has to kind of happen. So it, it is your zone for creativity and for setting yourself up for what is next. And I think we learn bits and pieces of that, even though we're not necessarily trained into that in our families or by schools or careers, that there are signs from the universe that this is what is needed. There are signs from our body oftentimes, or our bodies failing us sometimes that this stuff is needed. And even in every breath, we can see the comfort that can come when we know, oh, I have enough breath. Oh, I can restore myself with a breath. It's just magical. And I'm appreciating all the learning that I'm doing with my guests and with this part of my life that I happen to be in right now where I'm getting a lot of this. I'm getting a lot of feedings of information and just all the sharing and the possibilities that we are kind of swimming in these days post-COVID well, kind of post-COVID. And in this zone of really just exploring, really, what am I doing? Where am I going? What do I need? And who do I need to be? Who do I want to be? And and I love your story. Thank you for sharing it in such beautiful and delightful and deep detail, because that is not easy in public, I think. And um, with someone relatively new to you too. Could you share with us now, we'll switch a little bit into what you're doing professionally now and how that lights you up in this new way and what you would like to share with our audience about that work? Yeah. So basically what I did was I began, as the creativity began to expand I realized, oh, I was going in 5,000 different directions, right? And I needed to find a way to to, to bring it all together. Not only because I, I was like, there, it was like there was spaghetti splattered all over the wall, right? And it was like, oh, well, that one's sticking, that one's sticking. But also just for me to be, fu- to, to be and feel fully integrated. And also, I felt this deep calling to now be the mentor, right? To now be Wayne, right? To now help people. And so I took my, my, my life 
my parts and pieces and began bringing it all together. And so now I work with entrepreneurs, primarily healers, artists, um, coaches, and I help them create their story so that they can share their story in a way that will resonate with people. And I do that through a course called Real Stories That Sell and a coaching program. And I am an artist. I'm, I'm always have been and always will be. Uh, like I said, I have documentaries. I have two documentaries. One's about to um, break this year and be released this year and a second one next year. Uh, and I'm still involved in the theater. So I have basically created a media company that has different pieces and parts to it. And behind all of it really is the idea of service of the soul, of sharing stories, 108 million stories told because of the ripple effect that that will then create 108 million more out. I love it. And it's beautiful and it feels enormous, but it also feels like perfectly sized for you (laughs) that this was a reflection of your talent and your vibe and your energy and who you are and where you've been, you know, like that it's not too big for you. (laughs) It's not, it's not too multidimensional for you. It just is what you want to bring which I love. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I think as a, you know, going coming full circle back as a child, when I got up on the table, I was oftentimes told I was too much, right? That it was, too, that that was too big, too much, sit down, right? And, and now by you saying that to me, that is in many ways honoring that, no, it's not too much and no, you don't need to sit down. So I really appreciate that feedback. Yeah, no. And thank you for being the mentor for people who are really wanting to keep that dream and that dreaming active and powerful and fully spoken. Because I think in this episode, you've showed us kind of the power that you can own when you work on that energy and that strength from within that you possess, no matter where you grew up, no matter what your career is, right? I think you would have found your voice no matter which path you would have taken because you're someone who was curious about what is involved in this? How How is this going? Where is this taking me? And does it feel like it's supposed to feel? And trusting that that knowing was not going to steer you radically in the wrong direction, which I think is the through line that that was always there with you. Yeah. It's like a GPS, right? You know, it's your inner GPS and you can listen or you can not. And sometimes when you listen to the inner GPS, it takes you the direct route. But if not, you'll go off course and guess what? It's always going to redirect you back anyway. You're going to get there. It just might take a little longer and you might go down some weird windy, windy roads, but you'll find your way back. Yes. What would you say to the creative people listening, professionally creative or not. We're all creative. Yes. Which is what I was trying to say. um, That what would you say to them if they feel like this conversation has made them realize in big letters that they're sitting on something that they shouldn't be, or that could be released? What would you say to them? If they're sitting on something that should be released, you're, you're saying? 
or that they're 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 still they're they're kind of they're they're not feeling up to the task. They're feeling ah. like it's not their, they're, they're doubting themselves somehow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say take a baby step. Take a baby step. And then take the next step and the next step. And as you take those steps, I want you to cheer yourself on. Because here's the thing. When a baby takes its first step, what do we do? We stand up and we say, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Oh, oh, come on, come on. One more. Take one more. Take one more. And yet when we take those baby steps, we say, well, that wasn't very good. Gosh, <laughs> yes. you didn't get far enough. You suck. Right? <laughs> sit back so just down. Take, <laughs> sit back down. Exactly. So it's just take one step. And then let it be as small or as big as you're ready to take. And then take the next one and the next one. Because creativity is a process and a practice. It is absolute practice. And the more that you baby step walk, you then suddenly realize that you're running as a creative. And then suddenly you're running and you're jogging and you're in the Olympics. And you didn't even realize how you got there because you're looking inside and you're like, whoa, I'm running. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for the gift of your presence on the show and your time with me today. I'm giving you a big hug across the screen and across the airwaves, which we both <laughs> share. Could you please now tell our listeners how they can listen to your podcast and stay connected with you and potentially work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm always on the Instagrams and the TikTok like you are now on the TikTok. Yes. Uh, and uh, my website is th at the Nick Demas, uh, the Nick Demas .com. And uh, my show is simply the Nick Demas show. So, okay. Terrific. Thank you so much for having me. It was such You're, a beautiful conversation with you. You are so welcome. I am so grateful to have had this conversation with you. I can't wait for your upcoming documentary. I wish you all the best in that, your work with your students and with your inner self. Everyone, let's say goodbye for this episode. And please let me know, let, let Nick know on Instagram, on the web, what you thought of this episode, what it stirred up in you, send us messages and we will communicate right back with you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make Time for Success podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard, you can subscribe to make sure you get notified of upcoming episodes. You can also visit our website, maketimeforsuccesspodcast.com for past episodes, show notes, and all the resources we mentioned on the show. Feel free to connect with me over on Instagram too. You can find me there under the name Procrastination Coach. Send me a DM and let me know what your thoughts are about the episodes you've been listening to. And let me know any topics that you might like me to talk about on the show. I'd love to hear all about how you're making time for success. Talk to you soon.